0: Amen. Let's pray. Father, we believe that you are the great I am. That there is no power that can come against us in you. Lord, that you are far above us and you are far beyond us. So Lord, we praise you for what you have done. Lord, with grateful hearts, we come before you this morning. And Lord, pray that in this time as we open your word, Lord, that you will speak to us, that we will hear your word. And, Lord, we will obey it. Lord, help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you will, turn with me to Hebrews 28, uh, 12. Hebrews 28, no such thing. Uh, Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 is where we'll be reading from this morning. Um, and uh, I hope, um, as you've already been stated, I hope that you had a great um, weekend and um, I, uh, I braved the, uh, the the Black Friday traffic for about 20 minutes <laughs> because I always get batteries at Home Depot uh, because they're super cheap. And there's a conspiracy against people with small children to make them go broke on batteries. And so this is the only time I get back at like consumerism. And so Um, That's my Home Depot trip. But I I hope you did have a a great time with family, friends um, over over Thanksgiving. Um, This week, we're going to continue in our Pathway series. And so we're two sermons away from being done. And so today is the second sermon on mission. And then next week, we're going to kind of wrap this whole thing up. But it is clear, one of the things that we wanted to do as we wrote this series and as we thought about it was we wanted to be really clear that, you know, I think we live in a life with We live in a world where everything is kind of misdefined, and everybody gets to define everything for themselves, and we kind of, are you with me, like we we kind of live in this kind of misinformation age. So what we wanted to do in this series was say, hey, there is a clear definable pathway that God has for each and every one of us. This isn't up for discussion, it isn't a debate, that there's some clear things that God desires for each and every person that will place their faith in him. One is that we believe that, that the gospel, that Jesus is the centrality of the faith and that when our affections grow for him, out of our affections for him, grow a true and authentic, obedient life for his name. So Jesus said it like this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. Only through the person of Jesus can we do that. And he is asking every one of us as we walk down this pathway of life, to love him with every bit of who we are. Why? Because he gave his life for us in a way that we could never return to him anything but giving our life back to him. We also know that it's clear in scripture that we are to love others as family. That's the best way that I could kind of define that, and that's the way we talk about it around here, is family. That in the faith, we are family, and I live hopeful, and many of us live hopeful, that many people that aren't in the family of God will become a part of the family of God. And so we are to be a family of faith, and so we are to love one another as family, not like family, as family, and invite each other into our lives, and invite those outside of our lives into our lives, and truly have a genuine love. Jesus said it like this, love your neighbor as you love your self. So it's clear and definable that a Christian loves Jesus excessively, that loves others excessively, and then this third part of pathway is that clear as we walk down this road that that those who believe, there's a clear thing that he's asking of us, and that is to extend the truth in which we've been given, to extend the hope in which we've received, to extend the great news to the world around us that we might that they might believe also, and God is, so, God is asking us to impact our world, and we've said it like this, that impacting our world, we believe, starts with loving our neighbor, and so today, last week, we, 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 we talked about this very simple truth from John 20, 21, that we have been sent. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, and today, we're going to add to that sentence a little bit, that we have been sent, I have been sent to proclaim the kingdom, so today we're going to talk about what does it mean to proclaim this kingdom and to live as citizens in this kingdom, in this new way of life that Jesus has provided. So if you will, this morning with me, in honor of reading God's word, stand as we read Hebrews 12:28 through 29. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow with us on the screens. Hebrews 12, 29 reads, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Father, we pray this morning that you will honor the reading of your word, God, that you will allow the truth of this text to speak deeply into our lives, and Lord, that you would change us today to live in your ways. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would use me and anoint me in this time, Lord, to to speak on this text in a way that would honor you. This I ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So there was a Baptist preacher who was barely 34 years old and was about to speak in front of a quarter of a million people. He was the last speaker after a long day of of messages. He had been awake till 4.30 in the morning prior writing his message And in his message, he had carefully articulated everything that needed to be said in that moment. But as he began to read his manuscript, and as he began to speak, in the middle of it, he stuttered. Lost his place in his notes, and someone from the back of the room yelled, Tell him about the dream, Martin. And in that moment, he set aside his notes and he spoke from his heart about the dream he had. And on the screens, you can read it as I, as I say it. it. said, I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. And then a little bit further down in his, in his speech, he says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation Where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Many would say that this speech forever changed the civil rights movement in our country. That our country is forever different because of the stance that Martin Luther King and many others took, and I believe that's true. That they had a dream and they stood up for something and they stood up for injustice, and they did it, Martin Luther King specifically, did it in a peaceful way to bring change in our nation. He had a dream. Now, there's many men over time in history that have had dreams and brought change to societies and cultures. We can't be so nearsighted to only look at our position or time in history to know that there's men and women that have rose up in time that have greatly shaped and shifted cultures. See, but I believe that underneath that, in all time in history, there's a bigger dream. There's a bigger mission and there's a bigger vision And underneath that brings civil rights and brings all kinds of rights and gives dignity to men and women and brings them to a place where they were created and made to be. See, I believe that God, God has the biggest dream of all. I believe that God desires for every man, woman, and child to know him, to walk with him, to love him, to love one another and to care for one another. I believe there's a dream, a big picture in scripture that is proclaiming to us a deeper message and meaning to life a mission that we have been called to a mission for a glory a mission for souls a mission for restoration again there's a dream a big picture that God has been displaying see mission defined and this is a, an author he defined it like this J.H. Wright the mission of God is the restoration of all things to himself See, I believe that that's what God is doing. We see in the end in the revelation that God is gonna make a new heaven and a new earth and he is gonna restore this earth and all of its brokenness and bring peace amongst our time. There won't be earthquakes and famine and all those things that exist in societies and culture and half. He will set all right. There'll be no more orphans. There'll be no more weeping. There'll be no more tears, Revelation 20. See, he's also doing this other great work of restoration and he's restoring people to himself see we were made in the image of God to live in his intended ways and we rebelled from him and in that rebellion we became separated from God and God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son into this world to die for us on the cross that we might be set right with God might be recreated into his image as we live increasingly and when we die forever this is a gospel message and this is the greater thing that God is doing and in the big picture of scripture we see this promise early in Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve's sin, God says that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, prophesying that there's one who will come, Jesus, who will overcome darkness through his own crucifixion and death on the cross. See, Max Anders, a writer, gave this kind of big big picture of scripture for us. He called it the five Christ-centered divisions of Scripture. And I want to give them to you today as we set up to talk about Hebrews 12. So the five Christ-centered divisions that we see in Scripture is first, anticipation. If, if you were to sit down today in just a few hours, which would be impossible, and read the entirety of the Old Testament, fairly extensive, fairly extensive section of scripture, 39 books. And in those 39 books, some of them are very long and some of them have very long genealogies in which you can't pronounce most of their names, right? Unless you're like me who knows Hebrew and then I just make it up and you have to believe me, right? That's what good preachers do. We just make up what we can't read and then everybody's like, oh, he must know. And so, and so in, 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 these, in, in the Old Testament, but if you read through it, I think what you would hear is, is you would hear this over and over. It'd be like a drumbeat. It'd just be constant. What you'd hear is someone is coming. Someone is coming to set things right There's prophecies, there's problems, there's pictures, there's people, and all of these things are pointing to a Savior that needs to come and set things right. There's something broken in the family, there's something broken in culture, there's something broken in nations. We need a new king, we need a new prophet, we need a new priest, we need someone who can stop the repetition, the brokenness, someone to set things right again. And so in the Old Testament, what we see is this anticipation of a Savior but no savior comes. And at the end of the Old Testament, God goes silent for 400 years. And in those 400 years, there's major culture shifts all over our world. We know in history that roads are built all over the the known world, pathways for trade and commercial, I believe setting up a pathway for the gospel to move forward as we'll see in the book of Acts. But there's 400 years of silence. And then God breaks through. So we see in the Old Testament anticipation, but we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the manifestation of Jesus, the one who was going to come. We, we we hear this other drumbeat and saying, He came, he came, he came. He came and he was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He was arrested in the garden. He was brutally beaten for the sins of humanity. He was hung on a cross and he died. He was buried in a tomb, but the grave could not hold him. And he defeated death. He rose from the grave. And not only did he rise from the grave, but he taught for 40 days. And then after those 40 days, he commissioned his people and he ascended to on high and then empowered them with their Holy Spirit. And then that's the Gospels. And the Gospels end with the manifestation of Jesus that he came. The one the Old Testament was crying one is coming, one is coming, one is coming. In the Gospels, we see that he came, the manifestation of Jesus. And then the book of Acts. The book of Acts is really the sequel to the book of Luke. The third of the New Testament was written to one guy. His name was Theophilus. And so just a side note that God really cares about one person because a third of the New Testament was written to one guy, just saying. And so, so Theophilus, it was written to him. And so Luke was kind of this, this is what Jesus did in his life, died, rose, and then the book of Acts starts with the commissioning, and then the book of Acts is really about the proclamation of the gospel to the known world. So after he comes, he has proclaimed to the ends of the earth. This is recording the book of Acts like this: Acts one one through six seven. The gospel moves to Jerusalem in six eight to nine thirty one to Judea and Samaria in nine thirty two to twelve twenty four. Antioch to Asia Minor in 16.6 to 1920, to Rome in 19.21 to 28.31, we see the mission of church come alive and the gospel is proclaimed literally to the ends of the earth in the book of Acts. And so we see in the Old Testament the anticipation of Jesus, in the gospels the manifestation of Jesus, in the book of Acts we see the proclamation of Jesus, and then we have these 13 letters. And in these 13 letters We call them epistles. And in these epistles, what happens is we see the explanation of the Christian life, the church, the family. Under the reign of Christ, this is what it looks like in the day-to-day to live faithfully for him. So we see the explanation from Romans to Jude, problems, needs, questions were addressed in these letters. These explain who Jesus is, what he has done, and how we should live in light of Jesus. And so then we've covered all of the scriptures now but one. One, one, uh, one book of the Bible, and that is the book of Revelation. So in the, in the Old Testament, we see anticipation, new te- uh, Gospels, manifestation, proclamation of, the, of Jesus outward, explanation of how to live for Jesus, and then the book of Revelation, we see the consummation of all things. Revelation, the one who has been the sinner, will return, and when Jesus returns, he will set all things right. So I just say to you today that the Bible is all about Jesus from beginning to end. He's coming. He's coming. There's one who needs to come. There's one who needs to come. He, he came. He came. He came. Now we must go. We must go. We must go. We must live this out amongst one another because one day he's coming back again. See, this is the, the big picture. The, the mission of God is a big picture and thread of Scripture. There's a bigger story than our story. There's a bigger vision than our little visions. We need to align our vision with his vision. And I believe that his vision, I think Isaiah 26, 8, it says this. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our souls. See, in this verse, another way in the NIV, it says it like this, that your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. I believe for the people of God, one of the things that is deeply burns inside of us, which fits with the entire burning desire that we see in scripture, is that that God's name, not mine, that God's fame, not mine, that his renown would be spread to all peoples of all places, including my neighbor including my city, including my county, including my, my state, including my nation, including our world, that every person would have access to this great news of what Jesus has done. Oh, that his renown and his fame would be known to the ends of the earth. See, the message of Scripture is that we would move forward, that we would take the initiative, believe the best is ahead of us. There's a guy, his name is Gary Haugen, and Gary started a ministry called the International Justice Mission. I don't know if you've heard of it, but IJM is known all over the world, and they fight legal battles in regards to justice and mercy. Gary started this in Rwanda. He was working for the State Department, and he went into Rwanda when there was genocide, and he was a part of the team that counted 800,000 skulls and bodies that were burnt and killed inside of all these places. And in that, God birthed a vision inside of Gary, and he said that there's an injustice in this world that needs to be fought against, and so what you will hear is, if you ever listen to him, you'll hear stories that we went on a plane, we went to this place, we found 400 girls that were trapped in slavery, and we went and we fought with the government, and we rescued them out in the cold of night, and they do all these crazy things all over the world, literally now they're all over the world fighting for justice through courts, through governments, through police departments, through corruption to rescue people from injustice. This is what he said. He said, we must switch from playing defense rather than offense. We must switch. Sorry, I said it wrong. We must switch. We need to begin to play offense rather than defense. We are too often more impressed with bad men than we are with a good God we are often more impressed with what is going bad in this world rather than what God is getting right. And we live in a day where bad men are easy to see all around us. And we watch the news, whatever channel you watch. You watch your feed on Facebook. You watch your news feed on your phone, whatever it is. And it's bad men after bad men and bad things and problems which makes us go, what is going on? This is terrible. What is this all going to come to? And we become more impressed with bad men than we do with a good God who is doing a good work and has been from the beginning of time and will till the end of time. See, I I believe that Jesus spoke to this He spoke that we can have confidence and courage to live on mission with him in days where it doesn't make much sense. Matthew 16, 13 through 18, I'm just going to read portions of it. Jesus says this, Who do people say that I am? Simon Peter replies, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I believe this is, I believe this is the, the rock here, is the confession of Peter. On this confession, I will build my church. And then he says, and this is it, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If we are in Christ, there is nothing to fear, the gates of hell will not come against us. We can stand strong in the midst of this battle. Now, I was in India a few weeks ago, and I was there, and there was a, one of the guys that with us is the denominational leader for the Church of God, Jim Lyon. And Jim spoke the keynote of every night that we were there. And the first night he spoke, he spoke on this text, and he spoke his, the points of his sermon were the, point one, gates, point two, of, point three, right, are you with me, of hell will not fail against us. So he preached a rather long sermon and uh, so we got to supper that night and uh, one of the guys that was with us, he said, uh, hey Jim, next time you preach, can you preach on Jesus wept? Anyway, it was kind of a funny moment. Uh, Anyway, Jim took it really well and then the next night he preached on a longer text word by word. And so, but what he spoke to the church in India and he said, church, you have nothing to be afraid of. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. We have nothing to fear. Our Savior himself told us that nothing can come against us. No sword will prevail against us that in Christ we will move forward. Jesus said it like this before he died on the cross. He said in John 16, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, meaning hard stuff's gonna come our way. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus, speaking to fear, said that we do not have to live in fear because He has overcome the entire book of Revelation, just do a quick read of it. What does it say over time? We are overcomers, we are overcomers, we are overcomers, we are overcomers in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can stand against to us. So I'm writing this sermon this week, and it's kind of a short week it's Thanksgiving Week, and I'm Monday and Tuesday trying to get as much done as I can, and um, we we bought, a, a, for, our house was foreclosed, and so we've been progressively been doing work on it now for five years. And one of those nagging projects was a new front door that was not, not in great shape. And if you've been to my house, you've almost been murdered by it. And so, and so we had it replaced, and of course I did it right as it got cold to run my heater for two entire days as we were replacing the door. But the men who came to install the door... We're there, and um, I went out right as they were finishing, and I'm talking to him. I'd been in my office writing writing portions of my sermon, and right when I got to this point, I'd walked out, and the guy that was in kind of the supervisor installing said, I think he was starting to maybe like share his faith with me, I'm not going to lie, which I thought about playing with him, being like, who is this Jesus person you you speak of? Tell me more about this. I don't know about that. (laughs) Sounds like a bunch of hogwash to me, right? Like all this stuff. But I didn't, and I shared with him that I was a pastor, and we began to have this conversation um, about Jesus and about his faith, and this guy was on fire for the Lord, and you could just tell all these things, and he said, you know what the problem, and this is, uh, this is, the guy started preaching to a preacher, and he said, you know what the problem is in this world? Anxiousness. Anxiousness is a problem, because anxiousness is all about the past, because of all the things that have happened in the past, we have anxiousness today. In this today moment that we live in, we're, we're anxious because of all these things that have informed how our day should look today. And then that creates anxiety for the future. And then I think about all the things coming and I get anxious. But he goes, hey, listen to me, I'll tell you this. He goes, and I'm not joking, this guy, he was preaching to me in my, my foyer, right? He goes, let me tell you this. You know how many times it says, do not fear in the scriptures? He says 365 times. Boom, one for every day, baby. I don't have to be afraid every day of the year. I was like, "Dang." I'm saying that on Sunday. that's good. I don't even know if that's real, but I'm down with that. <clears throat> we have nothing to be afraid of, church, but so much in our life, we live ang- in anxiousness, for past, which brings anxiety toward the future, which paralyzes us to live for the greater purposes God made us for His great mission in this world we have nothing to be afraid of we have nothing to be afraid of so let's look at Hebrews 12 28, 29 I'm going to read it again it says therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire first thing that we see in the text it calls us to do is and is to live with gratefulness It says therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken so it says let us be grateful it's right out of the text gratefulness gratitude is this immovable nature of the kingdom of god that that we live reciprocating what god has done for us so the reality that we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken now We know that this isn't true for kingdoms and nations. We know this in time and history that kingdoms rise and they fall. Nations rise and they fall, right? We know that by our experience just watching the news that it's not only wars that do this, famines, earthquakes. Last week, Bill Belichick, the NFL played in, in Mexico City and he says, I don't think it's very wise to play football games in cities where there's, there's often earthquakes, right? There was a thing about even just being in that place for him that struck fear in him because of just natural disasters. And we see it all the time, all over our world, this, 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 this shakable nature of the world and the kingdoms that surround us. We don't even know what it's like, or even can't even fathom what it's like to be a part of an unshakable, immovable kingdom but gratitude we have because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We currently exist in a kingdom for all time and eternity, if we are in Christ Jesus, that, that cannot be shaken, cannot be moved. But we're mindful of the temporary nature of all the things around us. And again, that's the plates, the evil, the, the earth. And, but we have this deception, this deception that is pervasive in our lives. We have this deception of the permanency of that which surrounds us. And even though we know that we shouldn't have a deception that everything is permanent around us, we still do. You know, I know for me, and I would guess that many of you would agree with me on this, that there was a time in my life where I thought, no way my family will be any different than it is right now. But then there's one less plate at Thanksgiving, which reminds me that, oh, my family is shakable. Oh, no one in my family would do this or that, and then someone in my family does this or that. No, no one would ever do this, right? No, no one would ever do that, but yet it happens. I don't know about you, but I've lived just long enough to realize that there is really nothing permanent in this world, and nothing that I can put my full confidence and hope in that surrounds me in this world because there is nothing permanent. Because everything, everything, everything is shakable. I want to believe that my kids aren't. I want to believe that my family isn't. I want to believe that my marriage is and I want to believe that all of these things aren't. But just so you know, and I'm not being a downer, just saying we all know that nothing in this world we can put all of our chips in on. But what we can is the truth in this text is that I have received a kingdom that is unshakable, that is immovable, that, that never changes. God is a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His word is true and his promises are true that he is never moving and he cannot be shaken. So the truth that God is immovable, unshakable, constant, this allows us to separate from this world and realize, as Paul did in Philippians 3.8, he says, indeed, I count everything as a loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. What Paul is saying is I'm not putting my chips on anything in this world. I consider everything in this world, and the word rubbish means garbage, means trash. I, I I don't even want it, the good and the bad. I want Jesus because Jesus is immovable. Jesus is unshakable. Jesus is constant. In him, I can place my full confidence. I can live with gratefulness because I have an immovable God, and I'm a part of an unshakable kingdom. The second thing in the text, not only do we live with gratefulness, it calls us to live as worshipers. So it says, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. See, we bring an offering before God of worship with our lives. Now, worship is something we did this morning as we sang songs, but that, in many ways, is just a small idea of what the totality of worship is in our lives so it says, let us offer, meaning an act of the will. This is something that I am going to, to do, I, I desire to do. I'm going to offer something to God. It says, let us offer to God acceptable worship. So something that is valid, that, is count, that, that counts, that is sacrificial, and something that is received. And just so you know, everything we offer to God isn't worthy of God. Side note, not everything we offer to God is worthy of God. So the manner in which we do this is with what reverence and with awe reverence meaning that i that i that i hold god in the the place and the position that he 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 belongs that i see him as holy and exalted and and full of peace, and patience, and kindness, all of his attributes, all that he is, his wrath, and his mercy, and his grace, and his truth, and I see him for who he is, and I live in reverence of him, but but even more than reverence, and of an awe that I'm captivated by his attributes, and I, I can't believe what he has done for me, and so with reverence and awe, I come before him. Romans 12.1 helps us with this offering of worship. Since I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your very own lives, the fullness of who you are, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, in this, there's a new sacrifice in town under the new covenant. This new sacrifice in town, it's not bulls, it's not goats, it's not pigeons' blood. The final sacrifice has been made. Jesus Christ took death, hell, and judgment for us. The true king, the true prophet, the true priest sacrificed his very own life for us. So in response of Jesus' shed blood on the cross, I offer my very own life to him. So my response is to give him me. The response is, here is my life, God. Help me to live it as a living sacrifice, moment by moment, day by day, for you. Moment by moment, day by day, for you. My spiritual act of worship. So we're called to live with gratefulness, live as worshipers, and then the last we see, it says, for our God is a consuming fire, verse 29. That we should live with faith. Now, when I was in high school, uh, actually middle school, so middle schoolers in the room, do not do as your pastor once did. And so I, I remember over the intercom in our school, the words, would Ryan Johnston and David Young please come to the office? And in that moment, I knew where I had been and what I had done with David Young. And at that point in my life, Bud McCray... Who was our principal, um, and we, for some reason, did call him Bud McRae. I don't know why that was acceptable, but it was like it was like Bud was like it was like his own title, like of respect. And I remember walking into his office, knowing that judgment was coming my way. In light of, uh, of saving myself a little bit, I'm not going to tell you what I did. But what I did was not good. And I remember he I sat down at his desk and he said, he handed me the phone, he said, Call your mother. And so it's like this, oh and so I called my mom. She was at work, got transferred to her desk and I said, Hey mom, I did X, Y, and Z. I'm not telling you. You can ask me afterwards and I might tell you. I'm still embarrassed. And I said, "Mom, I did this," and then I handed the phone right back to him. I didn't even want to discuss it with her. Like, you can like rip my ear off at home. My mom used to do this thing, like where she would she would like dislocate our shoulders into our ear and like march us around. She did. And so, and so there was this moment, like I knew my shoulder would be dislocated at home, and so I was just waiting for that moment. And then, then I was, you know, kicked off the bus and other things as my punishment. So, but there was a moment when I was walking down that hallway, maybe you've had that moment where you knew judgment was coming. You knew that you were going to give an account for what you had done and when you had done it. And I know in me, I was sick just thinking, is there some way I can hide from my actions? See, what this says in this text, for our God is a consuming fire, meaning that judgment is, is coming. And those that are outside of Christ will be consumed with fire. This text speaks of grace on the front end and judgment on the back end. Every one of us in this room, whether you like it or not, when we step through death's doorway, we'll give an account for our life. Now, what I'm grateful for is that Jesus paid the price for my sins. And I won't give account for my sins and my life before God because Jesus he has forgiven me and through as some have said the rose-colored glasses of his atonement for my sin I will be able to rest in the eternal peace of God. But if you are not in Christ Jesus you will give an account for your life for your sins and we will come under judgment. And after judgment will come hell, eternal separation from God forever. So the text says, for our God, our God, the creator, the limitless one, the one who spun all things in the motion, the one who, as much as we don't want to admit it, is in charge, has been, and always will be. For our God, is a consuming fire. His judgment will be all-consuming. See, God is incomprehensibly powerful and all-consuming. And a high view of who he is, what his judgment will be, and what his capabilities are, this causes us to live by faith in the truth of what he has said and live in security of it. But it also causes us to live a life on mission, Early in ministry, I remember thinking back to all the preachers I'd ever heard in my life. Now, I grew up in a tradition with some pretty harsh preachers. There was maybe one sermon that I heard as a kid where he was speaking of the body of Christ and his wife had knitted together a baby with Velcroed body parts, right? And he was like, if you're not acting as a hand, and he'd throw the hand out. I'm like... Why is a baby being dismembered? This is so creepy. <laughs> I don't want to go to this church anymore, right? I mean, and I remember hellfire sermons, like you're going to hell if you don't live this way, and you don't do this. It was like this unachievable thing. I remember saying, I don't ever want to talk about hell or those things in, in such a way that, that invokes fear. But let the scriptures do that. On their own. But I, I just want to speak of this in a way of compassion. I'll tell you this, like I was on my way to hell and Jesus rescued me. And he saved me by his grace. And, and for me, I don't desire anyone to go to hell because I deserved it and God has rescued me from it. And I would t- say this today, if when I said judgment is coming and you thought I'm not ready to give an answer, I would plead with you today to give your life to Jesus, that you might experience his grace and his forgiveness so that one day when you see him face to face, you will not be all consumed by fire and cast away but you will be invited into his very own presence to experience his peace the rest of your life. But even better than that, too, is not only forever, but today you can have his peace. But I believe this truth of judgment causes us to live by faith and truth and to live on mission for him, not wishing as he doesn't wish for any to perish, us not wanting any to perish, and living for his greater purposes. So we have been sent to proclaim his kingdom, and as we do, To live with gratefulness as worshipers by faith. And I believe there is a dream of God, a mission that He has sent us on, a battle that we are a part of, but we are not alone in it. See, the real soldier in this battle is Jesus Christ Himself. And He established a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He is the great soldier of soldiers. He is the great warrior of warriors. And when we we choose to go to battle in this world, to go on mission, to take risks for our king, we don't go at it alone. Our warrior Jesus Christ himself goes with us. The one who died, the one who had the power to overcome the grave, to defeat death, to walk through the furnace, Might we have courage, might we stand up, might we stand strong with our king and might we embrace our position in the kingdom that cannot be shaken and recognize moment by moment that we have been sent to proclaim the greatest news in all of the world, the great news of our king and what he has done. Might we live in his kingdom and his reign in the day-to-day of our lives. So in a simple way, to just finish today, I think there's two things in order to live in this mission that's just really simple, and it can last our whole lives if we just do these two things. Living on mission maybe could be boiled down to this simplicity, invitation. Without inviting people into our lives, it will be very hard for us to live on mission. And so I just simply say that if we wanna live on mission with our king and this unshakable kingdom, we must invite others into our life. Now, that might be inviting them into not only our life, but into our journey. That might look like around our dining room table, around a coffee shop table, maybe even here on a Sunday morning where you invite them in to a place where you grow and mature and worship in your faith. But inviting people in is really the beginnings of mission in our lives. But not just inviting people in. That's like the beginnings of it. I think it turns to investment. Taking people to the places where you're invested in, to the study you're a part of, to the way in which you pray and the way in which you've been taught to read the scriptures and investing in their lives in some way or shape and form of something greater and kingdom-centered. But invitation, investment, or these are the two things, and whether you're here or in India or in Thailand or in Guatemala or in Canada even, right? Wherever, I always, I don't know why I say Canada even. Anyway, um, <laughs> Um, sorry, and so, I'm not gonna go off on Canada right now, and so, so wherever it is, these are the two things that are just like the driving forces of mission in our life, but I'll tell you, I think the one thing, and there's many, but I think one predominantly that hinders us from this life of mission and this unshakable kingdom is that we've learned to live life in the Christian faith in kind of a consumeristic way, um, a participatory way. And I'll even say it about me. It's so deep in us that we don't even know how deep it is. And so when we hear things like this sermon this morning, and the truths that, that Jesus overcomes, so we can live with faith and courage, the gates of hell will not come against us, a greater mission that God is calling us to. Somewhere in our minds we say, I, I, I think that's true. But my Christianity that I've experienced so far in my life doesn't really do that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep living how I'm living and cross my fingers and hope it all works out in the end. Now, I don't know about you, but that whole crossing my fingers and hope it works out isn't a great way to go at life. I've kind of done that with portions of my life, and it typically doesn't end. Anybody else just cross their fingers and hope something works out? This text is true. The scriptures are true. God has a great mission for this church. And I believe that together we are seeing that happen increasingly in our city, in our county, in our state, and our world. And I believe that God is using North Canton to do that. But our impact is only as good as each and every one of us embracing this greater thing with our life, not crossing our fingers, but saying I believe that God's word is true and I believe he has sent me on mission to proclaim his kingdom. And as a Christian, that's what I want to be about. And I want the great life work is not the great achievements that I've had, but simply I want to bring a wonderful offering before my lord of worship of giving my life to him in devotion see we are a part of an unshakable kingdom we have no reason to be afraid We have 365 days a year where the scriptures clearly told us to not be afraid. I don't have to live in anxiousness and I don't have to live in anxiety. But today I can persevere knowing that I am a part of an immovable God and an unshakable kingdom that is moving forward in this world. And I have the extreme privilege to be a child of the God Almighty on high. I I have the extreme privilege to be a servant of my Lord Jesus Christ. I have the extreme privilege today in my life Life, to be indwelt with the power of the holy spirit of god meaning that even when i don't know what to do he's gonna give me what i need to do it i have no reason to be afraid but i can move forward with power with my king in this world this is great truth and i i hope i hope we don't cross our fingers discount god's word and hope it all works out in the end because just so you know it doesn't Disobedience is disobedience. Holiness is holiness. And through Jesus, we are made holy. And because of what he's done, it moves and motivates us to give our lives back to him and worship. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today, Jesus, for your great love for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for... The truth of your word, that Lord, we are a part of an unshakable kingdom. That the the gates of hell shall not come against, shall not prevail against. That Jesus, you have overcome, so we can overcome. Jesus, you have set us apart and called us to live with gratefulness, to live as worshipers, to live in faith, to live in the greater story, to live fearlessly for you and your name. So Lord, would you help us as we worship, again, to commit our lives to you, to lay them in your hands. Lord, would you help the person in this room that has never known you, has never surrendered their life to you, Lord, I pray today you would give them the strength to repent of their sins, to turn in faith to you today, Lord, that you would save them. You would bring them peace, your care and your love. You give them confidence in your unshakable kingdom and you would move them forward for your greater purposes in this world. Lord, for us who have believed, give us the strength to live in the day-to-day, the moment-to-moment the moment of our lives your greater purpose, fearlessly for you. Father, we love you. Help us to respond to what you have said today as we sing. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing. And as we sing, these altars are open for you to respond to whatever God might be telling you today.